Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 716 with Darcy Eichenberg. If you are not having the best of times at your job and you're tempted to leave, Darcy has got some pro tips on how you may, in fact, be able to save your career right where you are. So you'll learn, one, the three shifts you could always make to improve any job, two, how to ask for and get what you want, and three, how to reset your relationships and boundaries at work. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, please drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP716. And if you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, check out some other cool stuff such as the Gold Nugget email list, which provides summary wisdom and insights from Darcy and all the guests who've gone before her in an email you can read in three minutes, as well as unlocking the vault of all such a summary write-ups. That's called the Gold Nuggets at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's Darcy's story. Darcy Eichenberg is on a mission to help us change our lives at work without changing everything in our lives. She's the author of Red Cape Rescue, Save Your Career Without Leaving Your Job, which shows how to get more of what you want without changing careers or finding a new job and without sacrificing yourself. Darcy has coached leaders at companies such as Coca-Cola, State Farm, and Deloitte, and she offers encouraging ways to change work for the better, for good. Big thanks to Darcy for sharing her wisdom with us. Big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Darcy. Darcy, welcome to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Oh, thanks, Pete. I'm so glad to be here. Well, I'm excited to talk about your latest work. Let's hear it. Red Cape Rescue. What's the story here? Yeah, the tagline is save your career without leaving your job. And the story really came out of working with a lot of my clients where I would hear these conversations going on where they'd say, I'm smart and I should be able to figure out what I want next, but something's not quite right at work. Something's just, something's bugging me or something is just changed for me, but I can't put my finger on it. And recognizing so often that the conventional wisdom was telling them, well, if something's not right at work, you better go find another job. And then maybe they try that and it didn't really work well, or maybe they found another job and in six months they're asking the same question again. And I realized that 
the conventional wisdom is just wrong that often there are so many things we can do right where we are to change our life at work without having to change everything in our life. And so that's really the core of the book, the kind of strategies that you can use right now, wherever you are to take back control. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Okay. Well, so maybe could you start us off with a cool story of someone who did see a nifty transformation while staying right there? Yeah. So I have a client who was a leader in an advertising agency, but thought she was up for the next promotion and didn't get it. How many times has that happened to folks, right? And the reason she didn't get it, she didn't get a good explanation and she really just got angry and frustrated. And then she got really down on herself and someone introduced her to me and we started really teasing apart what did she want and what was going on with this rejection for this promotion. And she realized that she was feeling like she had to go find another job kind of out of just out of frustration. But in truth, she loved a lot of the things about the company, about the people and about the work. And so we found ways for her to have better conversations, to get clear about what she wanted, to be able to be more direct with the folks who were making decisions about what was getting in her way, and also to reshape her own story so that the things they weren't seeing in her for this particular promotion, that she could tell different stories to bring that out. And so that person who could have just left, she could have found another job, but she didn't. And now a couple years later, she's actually second in line to the next president of the whole agency. So I think there's a lot of us who might like to not throw away everything that we have in our lives at work and be able to make more of it, but we need some different skills. We need some different strategies. Mm -hmm. Intriguing. Okay. So then in this particular instance, it was more about sharing, hey, this is what I did kinds of things. So two things in this particular instance, one was getting clear on what she really wanted at that phase. So did the promotion represent something, but what did she really want? And really what she wanted in many ways was the opportunity to make a bigger impact, but she hadn't been able to express that. No one had pulled that out of her and she hadn't even recognized that. So that clarity first is often a step when something's happening, you've hit a road bump at work. It's like, what is it that I really care about here? What does this really mean? So that was one of the first steps that she took to get really, really clear about what she wanted. Okay. So first step was getting clarity. And after the clarity came, what was the second step? After the clarity really comes the confidence to be able to have better conversations. So being able to ask for what you need, to be able to not feel like this illusion of transparency that, well, they should know, right? People should know that if I didn't get the promotion, then I'm upset or I'm getting a negative message. We make so many assumptions in our life at work because we're so close to it, but she had to learn how to have a different conversation and be able to talk to the decision makers, in this case, the CEO of her company, and be able to say, so this is what I I observed that happened. Here's the decision you made. Here's how it made me feel. And here's what I'm interpreting from that. But is that accurate? And without having that conversation, she had made up a story in her head about what not getting the promotion meant. And it actually meant something very different, something that the CEO hadn't even 
really articulated yet. That's cool. Yeah. All right. Well, so then tell us what are perhaps the key insights that folks need to be aware of if they want to have a, a rescue of their career without leaving their jobs? Yeah, a rescue, a reboot, a reset. So many of us are in this reflection mode right now. And I think the key learning is to recognize that we only control three things. We control what we think, we control what we say, and we control what we do. No matter how hard we try, we can't control anything else. So recognizing that that's all that is in our control, then being able to go through and say, so in this situation, when I've hit this road bump, this speed bump, this this thing that's happening at work that is not making me love my work anymore, can I change something that I think? Is there an assumption I'm making? Can I change something that I'm going to say? Like, can I speak up more or speak out or have a different conversation than the one I've been having? Or is there actually something to do differently? And, or in some cases, it may be something to not do. One of the chapters in the book that's getting a lot of attention is a chapter called Drop Some Balls. It's like, are there things I'm doing that's too much, that's actually distracting people from understanding what I do and how I create value in this organization? Mm-hmm. That is intriguing. Well, can we, we talk about some key things that we might wish to drop in under what circumstances? Yeah, we often accumulate, especially smart people, people who want to be awesome at their job. We accumulate things on our to-do list. We have good ideas and we might propose a good idea and then the good idea becomes our responsibility. But we also have things that that add up like meetings, reports, different check-ins with stakeholders. And we don't often take a step back and say, are these things still valuable and important for what I care about, back to that clarity point for what I really want to do, and being able to take a hard look at that list and recognize that we may have needed that team meeting a year ago, but do we still need it in its same format now? Or the report that takes me half a day every month, maybe we don't need that anymore because now we have the system where anybody can get the data anytime. So when I do this exercise with my clients, will often find 20 to 30% of things that they are doing, that they are spending time on. And most of the time, it's things that are not in their superpower space. You know, they're not the places where they are at their best and highest use. But that 20 to 30% that if they just stop doing it, nobody would notice. It's an amazing exercise to go through to really say, what could I drop and nobody might care? Well, that's pretty pretty wild. 20 to 30% is not just suboptimal, but rather totally inconsequential. (laughs) That's wild. It's a huge chunk for somebody. And I don't think we intentionally make up more things to do, but I think in our effort to want to be good, to think through things at a bigger level. And I mean, those are excellent behaviors. And those are behaviors that continue to get you moving forward and help you learn. And at the same time, if you're somebody who's been saying, I'm overwhelmed, my workload's grown, I'm not spending time in the place where I am the best and highest use, in the place where my company really needs me and values me, taking a hard look at what balls we can drop is a way to take back control. And 
maybe if you don't think that you can just stop doing them without permission, which I would whisper in someone's ear that there's a lot of things you don't need permission for in today's workplace that you could just do or stop doing. But you could also have a better conversation with people around the cost and the impact of that time that you're spending. And today, you know, in such a time of change, there is so much more opportunity for creativity than the chaos and for people to make suggestions about how we can do less but create more value. Intriguing. Well, so could you give us a few examples then of, hey, here's some things that people stopped doing that we noticed that it was all good. <laughs> yeah. So reports or big PowerPoint presentations, those become, those are things that tactically for a lot of people that I work with, a lot of people that I talk to when I'm out speaking, that there's just something. And I, and the, the strategy I'll offer listeners and anybody wanting to experiment with this is to find that thing on your list that you dread, like that thing that just keeps moving maybe from day to day on your list. You procrastinate. That just is not the thing that really lights you up, right? Because the stuff that lights us up, that feels easy, but it's the stuff that drags you down. So I have a client who at one point was responsible for putting together what turned out to be like a 50-page PowerPoint presentation every month. Now there's maybe half of it was the same month to month, but she had to go through it to check. But what she realized is that there was only two pieces of data that anybody cared about in that entire deck. She ended up doing a one minute video that was put on their share space and be able to be distributed to everybody that said, Hey, here's the change from one month to the last month. If you have any questions, let me know. Mm -hmm. And that took her maybe 20 minutes compared to the hours that she would put in trying to develop the PowerPoint. So there are ways that we can think differently about what we're doing so that we're not spending so much time on the things that don't matter. And that's what I mean by taking back control of what you do. Yeah, that's really interesting, those those reports, because I, I can see how there may well have been a time in which is like, hey, we really need a broad overview picture of all that's going on with this thing. And it's like, okay, sure. Okay, we made the PowerPoint there. It is like, okay, cool. Well, hey, now, well, we, we need the up-to-date information. So oh, I guess I have to update the whole thing. Yeah. And then it just lands that way. As opposed to, it's like, oh, wait, well, actually, now that we already know the broad strokes of everything, right? just tell us like the, the new stuff that's going on right now. Well, and we don't often revisit it, right? We, it's, the, it's like the old story of the fish in the fishbowl. Like the fish goes around and around and around in the fishbowl and learns the edges. But then you go to clean the fishbowl and you put the fishbowl in a tub full of water. But the fish now has all this space to swim, but still swims in that little tight circle that they're used to. I think we get into those habits in our workplaces where we think, oh, well, we have to do the XYZ report, but we don't stop and say, who says, or is this still relevant now? I have a client who's has probably had three to four different managers in the past year and a half. This is a theme I'm hearing quite a bit as we restructure and people move on and lots of things happen. And she caught herself doing something that manager number one had as a priority, but managers two and three never understood it, but they weren't going to question it because it was just what she did. 
So when she really did that analysis to say, okay, what can I drop? What's draining me? What are the things that are making my job not as awesome as I would like it to be? She realized, hey, this boss doesn't have those same needs. So I don't need to do it in the same way. We just don't stop and realize everything we do is very organic and it's all made up. So why don't we take control to make up what we want? Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's some pieces on the, the do side of things. Now, when it comes to the thinking, you've got a chapter called Conquer the Battle of the Brain, which sounds very helpful. What do you mean by this? Yeah. So there is the part of the brain and you've had some awesome guests on who are much more into the neuroscience than I, I will ever be able to be. But the brain is programmed to protect us in many ways. It's that little lizard brain, as Seth Godin says, that is that voice that's holding us back, that's saying, no, don't speak up. No, don't go there. Or be careful if you're going to ask for that, because there could be this consequence. We've got to learn to talk back to that part of our brain. We've got to learn to be able to realize that part of our brain is not ourselves. It's not our heroic self. It is just trying to keep us small. And it triggers the same biological feelings that it did in our ancestors. When they would hear a tiger roar, the same part of our brain triggers our hormones when we hear our project manager roar. I mean, it's the same kind of feeling today. But we can learn to separate that from ourselves and be able to talk back to that. And one of the strategies that I always use is to give it a name. And I have a client who calls her little negative voice by her second grade teacher's name. This teacher was always on her for talking too much. And now she makes her living talking. So being able to say, be quiet, Mrs. Washington, I'm in charge here. So we can find these strategies to not let the negative brain that's trying to hold us back, keep us back. And negative emotions pull us back, but positive emotions pull us forward. We need to be magnifying the positive emotions. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then in practice, what are some of the, the key things we can do to uh, magnify the positive emotions and, and prevent the negative pieces from hijacking us? Yeah. So giving it the name, personifying that voice is one thing. You know, also giving the other voice, that heroic voice, I call this listening to the whispers, giving that voice more space, giving that voice more volume, trusting it even more. But we can actually change how we listen to that voice in an instant. The beauty of realizing that you control what you think is that we can choose our thoughts in the same way that we choose what we're putting on each day. So if you're faced with two different thoughts, they both could be true. It could be true that my job is on the rocks and it could be true that there's more possibility here. But why not choose the thought that's going to move you forward? Why not choose the thought that's going to be helpful to you? Because staying in that place of my job's on the rocks, everything's hard, everything's awful, only triggers all the hormones and emotion that make you feel bad. Why not choose that thought that make you feel good? And that's not fooling yourself. That's actually really understanding that your brain is going to send these different signals to hold you back, but you get to override that. You get to choose your thoughts. Okay. So we talked about some things to do or not do and some things, ways to think better. How about, what are some key things we should say, some, some critical conversations that you think need to be had that make a world of difference for a rescue? 
One of the things to say, I think goes, it's a combination of how you think and say, is to assume positive intent. That very often when we're listening to that little lizard brain, when that we're listening to that negative brain, we're going to assume the worst, right? We go right to the worst case scenario. Oh, I can't possibly have that conversation with my boss or my leader or my team to tell them that we need to realign the workload because they'll get mad at me. They'll fire me. They'll put me on the layoff list, you know, whatever the things we make up in our heads. But when we assume positive intent, when we assume that the other person we're talking to wants what's best for the group once maybe what's even what's best for us we get to go into these conversations with a lot more relaxed also with more of a posture of like arms open and having an open conversation as opposed to like being all tight and in fight mode so assuming positive intent and being able to even say that say i know you and i want to make sure that the work gets done on time and on budget So to be able to do that, here's the thing that I'm going to ask of you. Here's the thing I need from you. So we can use those skills to be able to say things differently in a way that keep people listening to us and also make sure that we're not coming at it solely from a position of of fear, of I'm not sure what I need, so I'm hoping you do it all for me. We can assume positive intent first. Okay. And then I'm curious... That's that's a really great frame to put around any number of of requests up front in terms of as opposed to being whiny like gimme gimme gimme. Right. So that's great. And then and tell me what are some some key requests that you've seen people make that have been transformational in terms of high leverage, all the difference when a couple smaller shifts or accommodations have been made. Yeah. This goes back to getting clear about what you want, right? One of the things I worry about in this great reshuffle, great resignation, they know something's not right where they are, but they're not clear about what they would want to change. And so there's a question I always ask is if you had a magic wand and could change one thing, what would it be? And often that can get you centered in on the conversation and even on the not only just what the ask is, but who is the ask of? Because sometimes you need to reset a relationship. You need to say, hey, Pete, we've been working together for a while now. And you know our relationship isn't as smooth as I'd like it to be. So could we do something to fix that? What, what would be helpful from your point of view? And being able to approach those kind of conversations. So you can reset a relationship. You can reset a process similar to what we were talking about before, about changing from doing a long PowerPoint or a detailed report to maybe something that's just a quick update, we can reset our boundaries. This is a conversation I'm having with a lot of people right now where they've recognized they've let their boundaries slip. We went in the beginning of COVID from being like a sprint, all hands on deck, everybody, we're all in this together, to now we're in a marathon. And things that people have gotten accustomed to doing need to be revisited and recreated. So asking for a different boundary, saying, hey, I know you've been calling me after eight at night because I know that works better for your family, but here's my ask. I'm going to ask you that we stop any phone calls by six o'clock or you leave me a voicemail. I'm turning my phone off. 
I'll get back to you at eight in the morning. Whatever the thing is for you, you have to be able to get clear about what it is, but to know that you can ask for the reset, you can ask for the reboot. And often people aren't even aware of some of the things that they may be doing or that the process could be fixed. We take so much for granted that the things are the way they are for a reason. Often they're not. They're all made up. <laughs> yeah, I think that is well uh, a master key to life and career right there. We, we assume things are the way they are for a reason. And uh, yeah, it's, it's maybe 50-50 <laughs> on whether or not there is. But don't just assume it is. Right. There was always a reason at one point, right? Mm-hmm. There's another parable that I love about a monk who had a young cat, a kitten, and they would go into meditation with his followers and the cat would come in and annoy everybody and distract from the meditation. So they started to chain the cat to a tree during meditation. And over the years, that got to be an ingrained habit. Well, we chain the cat to the tree before we meditate. Then the cat died. And the followers were distraught. How can we meditate now that there's no cat? But the two were never linked. And we can find these kinds of examples in our workplace all the time of where we make these assumptions based on what has been or what we might assume is important. We see this with leaders all the time. Well, the CEO says everybody's going back to the office. Let me tell you a secret. Even in the companies where the CEO has said that, those decisions are changing every day. And the exceptions, the individual negotiations, the accommodations that are being made are so much more than ever that blanket statement. So it's all made up. So why not make up or at least be clear about what you need to be at your best and highest use in the organization that you want to work with and doing the work that you know is making the biggest difference. Mm-hmm. Well, Darcy, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. Yeah, the, I think the, the biggest thing is that when you're feeling like, oh, I need to quit and all the noise around you is I have to leave. But if there's some hesitation, but there's some good here. Certainly there are plenty of opportunities where we should get out of bad situations, but so often have we actually used all of our control to try to get more of what we want. And that's just the little beat, you know, just that little moment between reaction and response that I invite people to do to say, if you are on that fence and you think there's something good there, try some of these strategies and take back control and see if it doesn't change things for you and at least help you make the most of where you are right now without having to change everything in your life. All right. Thank you. Now, could you share a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? So for me, from a quote, I think the Gandhi quote of be the change you wish to see in the world, this always is a good quote to be aligned to, because if we're not willing to take the effort to make the change, then who's going to? All right. And you have a key study or experiment or piece of research you like? I am a huge fan, i.e. groupie, of Amy Edmondson and a lot of the work that she's done on psychological safety. And so the idea of psychological safety, I think, is one that still isn't talked about enough. And it is so critical today to make our workplaces work. So that would be any of her work on psychological safety. I'm all over it. Mm -hmm. And favorite book? 
Uh, favorite book is probably The Art of Possibility by the Xanders. It's an oldie but a goodie, but there's a chapter in there that talks about starting with an A, so always giving people an A right off the bat, and it's so powerful, and I'd encourage anybody to pick it up, The Art of Possibility. Mm-hmm. And a favorite tool, something you used to be awesome at your job. Probably from a tool perspective, it's just cheap pens. That's not very sexy, but I write a lot. I take a lot of different notes and I'm always looking for a pen. And so just having a stash of cheap pens around keeps me able to just record whatever's going on in my head when my thumbs get all thumbs and I can't put it into my phone. So, mm-hmm. And a favorite habit? Favorite habit? I don't have any TVs in my house. No. No. So when I moved to the house that I'm in now, I didn't install any TVs. I don't have cable hookup. And it was a a macho experiment because I love TV. I used to have six in the house I was in before. And but it makes me read more. It makes me go to sleep earlier. And I think I have a little more peace of mind because if it's there, I'm going to turn it on. So when it's not there, I just don't turn it on. All right. Is there a key nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? They quote it back to you frequently. The key nugget is probably what I consider my mantra, which is somebody out there needs you. I think so often we get stuck because when we're making changes in our life at work, we think it's about us. We think, well, I want more, I want different. But I think that one of the things that can keep us going, and I know it does for me personally, is to recognize that I may not know who is going to be the person that I'm going to impact today, but somebody out there needs me. And I think it's true for every single one of us. Mm-hmm. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Uh, go to redcaperescue.com. That has all the information on the new book, as well as ways to contact me and also get a companion toolkit that goes with the book that you know is free and allows people to follow along in different ways. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? I guess I'll go back to that. Remember that somebody out there needs you. You matter. And no matter what you're feeling in your life at work, you will be awesome. You are awesome. And you need to show up that way so that those people who need you can get what you have to bring. Beautiful. Darcy, thank you. This has been a treat. I wish you lots of luck and keep up the great work. Thank you, Pete, so much. Appreciate it. I love what Darcy had to say about being able to eliminate 20 to 30% of work without anybody noticing at all. And that is, I find, to be an exciting challenge. And and maybe that number is more like 7% for you, but maybe it's even more if 20 to 30% is an average range. So see what you can trim and enjoy that extra margin. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP716. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. 
If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.